As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Today's episode of Android's Dungeon. What games do you play with people? Why do you play with them? Why not just play with a robot? We talk about the man, the legend, the clear claw, the ongoing train wreck of a popular sci-fi apocalyptic franchise. Is this the end of days for Fallout? And more. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is Android's Dungeon, a show about games, music, music, which is the sound cows make when they pick up a guitar. Uh, video games, screaming into the darkness, hoping someone listens. You can listen to us on all your favorite pod, 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 podcasting services. Um, search Android's Dungeon, check us on Instagram, Facebook. We're not on Facebook. The Guelph Board Gaming Group. That's where we're at. I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Joel, oh. wh- how are you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm okay. What oh, you it's play- me. What have you, you been playing recently? Oh, I played, uh, I was taught a couple games actually last night by, uh, by a fella. I think we, we both, we both taught each other a thing or two. <laughs> we walked away learning something. Yeah. Yeah, I think we learned a game together. Yeah. Or you had already played it with Kayla? No, I'd opened it up and I'd read the rules. Okay. And uh, or unless you're well, talking Fox in the Forest, you had Fox played. in the Forest, we'd played. Okay. So, so let's let's we can both talk about this simultaneously because I think it's going to be the same conversation. <laughs> yeah. So what do we start with? Uh, let's go Fox in the Forest. Okay, Fox in the Forest. Describe it for the audience. Uh, well, if you ever played Hearts or Spades or uh, Pinochle, I've never played Pinochle. I'll or, say Euchre. Uh, no Euchre. Bridge. Uh, a trick-taking game, you know, you know, you just you need a deck of cards. Um, Let's go even more basic. What is a trick-taking game? Because I know if I was to describe that to my parents, they'd have no idea what, what I was talking about. Well, somebody's going to play these numbersies, and everybody <coughs> else is going to play these numbersies, and whoever has the highest numbersies gets a trick, which is all of the cards. And that, there's never anything else. It's just the highest number, right, Joel? That's right. No. It's always some sp- some punk who's got to come in with some special rules. So that's basically uh, the variations in trick-taking games. Basically, everybody takes it in turn to play a single card from a hand of cards. Somebody wins it, whether they want to or not. Yeah. And then uh, and then that person usually uh, will play the next first card. Next yeah. card first. And Fox in the Forest is unique for trick-taking games because most of them are three-player minimum. And yep. that's even unusual. It's like all the popular ones are four players because uh, it all yep. revolves around you having a partner typically and kind of trying, especially Bridge, which is one of these games that I've, I'm fascinated by. And that yeah. like, it's it's huge. There, I think Bill Gates and his wife are professional Bridge players on the side. Like they will, they go into these huge tournaments and uh, about how they play these games. But the idea of a two-player one is very interesting because it's like a two-player bidding game. They're very rare because it's how do you bid against one other person? You either yeah. do or you don't. So. Yeah, and you could say it's boring, so you got to try to make it interesting. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you want tricks. Uh, for example, spades, whoever has the most tricks wins. Mm-hmm. And then in some games you don't, like in hearts, you want, the, basically you want no tricks. You you never want to win a trick unless, unless you want to win all the tricks, which is just <laughs> another one of those silly things. Yeah, yeah. So Fox in the Forest, two players, they're thinking, okay, well... How are we going to keep it that if somebody's ahead or somebody gets a better... Because you're really only dealing the cards to two people, so mm-hmm. somebody's going to have a better chance at getting more tricks. So they thought, well, how are we going to make it so uh-huh. the person who has the worst hand is still vested in playing? And they did a really good function of that, and that is if you do really badly, you do just as well as if you do quite well but not quite very well and yeah. if you do really well then you get nothing yeah so the game has this thing where it's you have this this track basically and from if you win zero to three tricks out of all the the cards that were, or the, all the hands that were played you're considered humble and you get six victory points at the end of the, hand, of the round 
if you do more than four but less than seven, you have been considered to be defeated. And you just take your beating and go home, sir. And it's like between one, two, or three points, depending on how many you got. If you got, if you win seven to nine tricks, you're considered victorious, and you get six points. Which is the same as humble. Same as humble. If you win more than nine, you are considered greedy, and you're, <laughs> your reward is nothing, sir. You may leave. <laughs> uh, and that's this neat balancing yeah. act of the game, is that everyone can... You look at your hand, and you think, okay, I could probably win, I don't know, a bunch of tricks quite easily. Yeah. But then you start to think about your opponent and what, how many, oh, gee, if I have these, what do, what do I think Joel has? And there are a bunch of cards that aren't played sitting in the deck. So you start trying to suss them out. And, and what's the most important sort of uh, game-changing aspect of any trick-taking game? Well, you have the idea of the trump. The, the trump. Tr- or they call it the decree in Fox in the Forest. And yep. you deal one card face up and that's what's trump for the entire game until it isn't. Because, like Joel was mentioning before, you have to add these little twists, especially a two-player trick-taking game. And that's not my specialty. I'm sure there, if there's anyone listening who knows anything about trick games or that's their passion, they're like, no, people have been doing this forever. But for me, this is fresh. And out of your cards, you go from 1 to 11. And about every two or three cards, there's a special one. And it changes things. So if you, for example, if you play a 1, which it's the swan, and you're always, almost always going to lose with the swan. Uh, but what happens is, is even if you lose that, you get to start the next uh, hand. And I almost think it's like, um, maybe if you really know what you're doing, it's like a, a strategic thing. But to me, it's almost to stop you from just purposefully losing uh, or trying to throw off. And it's like, okay, you may be trying to lose some tricks, but you're starting. So now it's your opponent gets to react to whatever yeah. you're playing here. So. And it's it's not always an advantage. To no, be, not yeah. at all. So the threes are the fox. That's the one of the most important ones that I think the more I play it, uh, the more I think you hold on to those till the end. Yeah. Um, and that lets you change the decree. And even better than that is you get to swap a card from your hand with whatever the trump card is currently. So it lets you do a little switcheroo there and can kind of yeah. completely change the uh, the game after a certain point. And goes on from there with different things. Yeah, seven is a treasure, I think. You get a point. Some VPs in the game. Just to quickly run down what the deck looks like, it's three suits. Yes. Uh, you've got moons, keys, and uh, bells. bells. And um, three different colors, doesn't matter. Um, the and artwork's they, all unique on them too, which is nice to see. Yeah, they look kind of nice. And, uh, and they go from one to 11. So 11, if you play an 11, uh, unless somebody has a trump and doesn't have that suit you're gonna win that trick yep so uh if you've ever played any trick taking game you know how it works if you have the same suit you have to play it so if somebody pays plays a seven of keys and your highest is a six of keys you gotta play a key and you're not gonna (coughs) win the trick Uh, but then again you know it's funny in fox of the forest it kind of gets into this thing where at a certain point you're just like okay things aren't looking good yeah I'm going to do my best to just get rid of all my good cards <laughs> and then win nothing, and then you're humble. Right? Yeah. It's just, it's a neat game, I think, in that I don't think out of all the games I've got, I don't have many card games because it's not my go-to, but it's utterly unique in that I don't think there's anything quite like it that yeah. that is sitting there. And it's, it's easy to play, and I think it's definitely something that if you were to sit there and do rounds and hands of it every day, you could really become... I think pretty good at it, but it, right now it just seems like this. The, the strategy is just ethereal. Yeah. I have no idea. Just don't don't win too much <laughs> or lose a lot. I don't know what it yeah. is. We had a really fun uh, game one around yesterday where I went straight to six wins, and then I thought, oh shoot, I better stop <laughs> winning tricks because if I win more than three more, yeah. I'm screwed. And then I did a much too good job of it. And Jack also <laughs> recognized what I was trying to do and, and played it perfectly so that he actually won every trick from that <laughs> on. Jumped past me to seven, got the six points, and I was cut down to three. So. It's just, it's, and that's it. Like, there's these reversal of fortunes where it's like, you feel like time is on your side and you've got everything. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Trump changed. Six Uh-oh. and zero oh <laughs> to seven to sixes. And you know what? I It's also extraordinarily inexpensive if you want to buy the actual game. You could mock one up yourself with just a deck of cards quite easily because all you need is uh, ace to jack and then just keep in mind what the yeah what like just like playing any other game like pick up two or skip a turn type things exactly so. everybody's played a game where it's like okay well you know what the seven means and you know what the jack means yeah. because you've assigned that you've put that in your head and that's all you really need to do with fox in the forest is you just need three suits of a deck of cards yeah 
uh, from one to Jack, but but honestly, it's not very they expensive. Came up with the it's idea, a pretty game. Well. So support them. Yeah, I think we I think we paid thirteen, fourteen dollars. What's the developer for that? I forget. It's a uh, not not a big one. The yeah. publisher there's a gigantic one, but uh, I'll post something about it on Twitter when I remember what it is. It was definitely popular in GenCon. Uh, uh, I heard them talking about it. Oh, yeah. I don't recall anything coming out of the fest. I just know that the only reason I know about it is because two-player games, I like, zoom, it's on my radar instantly. And when yep. somebody says good two-player trick-taking game, something that's light and fast, you can travel with it, so okay. Yeah. Well, Jason had brought it over when we played Container, but we didn't oh. have time to take it out. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. All right. So it's, it's swimming out there. It's hot right now. Pick yeah, it up. I'd Fox say so. in the Forest Fox would be a forest. great present for yes. a family member who doesn't play games. Because Do they saying, like cards? Well, yeah. here's a regular card game that you've grown up playing. Yeah. Everybody's like, all, if they if they don't play board games, they've definitely played Hearts or yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinochle or, or Euchre or whatever. And then you can say, well, here it is with a twist and you can play with your husband. I or, like that. So it, it, yeah, I'll, let's give it a uh, like for the because <laughs> often you get the questions. Oh, what what's Tis a good gift season. for somebody, right? And they, we're the wrong people to ask for a lot of that time for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Gloomhaven or Peace Road, and obviously <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, uh, food chain magnet. Food chain magnet. <laughs> it's uh, but if the, if I I do agree though, because card games are accessible and just I think just physically accessible in the sense of you put it out there and already you're not scaring people because I can't imagine I can't tell you the amount of times I've pulled out a box of stuff and it's not even by our standards that complicated yeah. looking but just eyeballs bulge at the oh like what are yeah. these sexes what are these tokens what is this stuff and I think one of the most important things about accessibility is points of reference yeah and this is just a pack of cards basically yeah and you got everyone has like a little um uh, I don't know, player guide of sort, which cheat is just cheat. Yep. cheat, cheat, and flip it over, flip it over. There, that's the whole game right there. Yeah. Just go on, play. So, what do you give Fox in the Forest? I give Fox in the Forest um, uh, seven um, monarchs out of ten. Not bad. Yeah, I think I'd give it the same, maybe with witches, which <laughs> sneaky witches, seven sneaky witches. Okay, so Fox and Forest was the first one. Second one, let's go. Let's talk about Blue Lagoon. The Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. I think when the, when we first started playing the game, we we went through the first half of the game and we this is the dumbest game I've yeah. ever played. And then we got into the second round and oh, hold on, now there's there's, there's some thinking here. Yeah, so Blue Lagoon is um, I I don't know if it's the latest because the man seems to just pump them out like it's like some sort of factory <laughs> line of games from uh, Dr. Reiner Knizia. Who's just a legend? Doctor board games. Doctor board games. Like some people, it, it, the problem is, is that the man. If you look at his, what, it, how many games he's made, it's it. Bl- your mind explodes. Uh, you don't know how it's that possible for what someone. What do you think are his top three? Well, that's what I was going to bring up. So I think, because um, I, I think I own tons of his stuff. To be honest, like a good chunk of them. Uh, I think Tigris and Euphrates is generally considered to be his masterpiece, like the best game he's ever made. Uh, it's a game I own, and I have it, it. It eludes me to this day as far as like understanding really what you're doing here. But Tigers and Euphrates is an ultra abstract version of civilization in the sense of you're growing things. There are conflicts. Bigger civilizations eat smaller civilizations, and you're just getting points. But it does something I absolutely love, and I wish more games did, which is if you when you win the game. You every, you have four different victory point tracks essentially, but you only get to score the two as low two lowest ones I think. So it stops you from just being a tough guy and doing one hundred percent on something because then you neglect the others and you get screwed completely. So it makes you spread out across the board. So uh, the container uh, container stole a little bit of that function. Yeah, your, I lo- I love your it. Biggest doesn't score. So exactly same with uh, between two cities. Between two cities, um, Wendiki does something similar. There was another game I, I I'm forgetting that I played recently. It does it too. I just like it because it makes it pushes players outside of their comfort zone and it stops these. Uh, Welcome to Centerville, I think, does uh, the exact okay. same thing. So you take so you have wealth and prestige. You have to choose one of them to score, and it's the lowest one. So you mm. can't just like go, "Oh, I'm making tons of money," and you're like a dirtbag or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, okay. So Kanitsa put out this game recently, uh, Blue Lagoon. It's been on my radar for a bit because uh, I think someone played a Gen Con and said uh, they're they're impressed with how abstract and mean it was. And when like Joel was saying, when we started playing this, it's like this is loosey goosey. I don't get it. 
there are two phases of the game, which yeah. it's, it's almost sounds cynical, but they're almost identical, except for the fact that the first phase, you get to place anywhere and you kind of do what you want, and you have to make a choice to build a hut, which is a permanent structure, because when it comes to the second phase, everything you've put on the board except for the huts disappears, and then you're only allowed to build out from where your huts are now. And what you do is you and your opponents go back and forth, placing some a little uh, circle representing a villager or settler on these islands. And you want to try to grab these goods, which are spread out uh, randomly. You want to have the most people on the islands. You want to have the longest line. You want to there's, touch the most islands. Touch the, oh, there's like, there's, I think there's five or six different scoring criteria, and they're all important. You've, you neglect one, and you're in trouble. Um, but the game went from this open-ended sort of, um, like, what is this, a kid's game? I don't get it. To stay off okay. my island. <laughs> Yeah, because in the first round, it we kind of split the map in half. Yeah. And at a certain point, we're like, what is even the point of yeah. continuing? Because we know what we're going to get here. And we did essentially stop. We just, like, as soon as, like, it's physically impossible for the other player to get to your side, yeah. I think you can call it, call it, and then just t t put out your chits because it's not going to affect anything. But then, anything. you know, maybe you want majority on an island you're sharing. The majority part was... We didn't realize that there were a lot of other <laughs> yeah, scoring yeah. factors. So then you get to the second phase, and then it's just like a totally different game, and you're you're like a hawk watching what your opponent is up to. Yeah. And I, I was, it, it's bright and colorful, and I think there's there's more to it. I'm not sure if two player is the best way to play it. I think three or four might mm. be more interesting. Yeah. With, um, but I was impressed with it. What Joel, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. At first, I thought, um, yeah, like that it was amateur. I guess like just kind of like. Okay, place these tiles and pick up these goods, yeah. right? Like, and but then you start to realize that it's a little. Uh, it's almost like you want to force your opponent's hand by pushing yourself into areas, and then they have to respond because yeah. there's a good right next to it or something. Yeah, yeah. And then that gets you even further into their area. Right. But uh, yeah, really cool. Um, I think it's still accessible for little kids, though, right? Like, you could still play this badly. We know there's a lot of heavy strategy behind it, because yeah. that's Kinesia. Um, but it's still, like, anyone could pick it up and just give it a try and see how many goods they can I think that's going to be the theme for this first half of the show, is the the simple but deep. Yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know if I, I'm going to call <laughs> Blue Lagoon deep necessarily, but simple, but let's say there's a lot of room to... There's layers. Layers to it, because, like you're saying, it's like, you could put this down, and it looks like Moana. It's like Moana the game. Yeah. All it's missing is some licensing. And I guarantee if they license this as Moana, they would just like, <laughs> cha-ching, cha-ching. There'd be a lot of angry people, Great but cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> Um, because it's like has this uh, Polynesian feel to it all, and it's bright and colorful. Components are nice. Like the huts are gorgeous. I wasn't expecting. Most of the time, you'll just get like, oh, just <laughs> in the old back in the day, they probably would just give you a cube, call it a day. But this yeah. one, you've got actual colored cones for each player, up to five, and yeah. then they have this base. And I noticed too that they even shaved a little section off on the bottom of the cylinder of the hut to represent a doorway, which is uh, absolutely adorable no and way. completely unnecessary. Noticed. Yeah. Very cool. And all the pieces, and there's this linen bag to sort them in. And so it's like, it's an overproduced game, but it's not that expensive, uh, especially when you pick it up on sale at 401 Games for yeah. uh, like 28 I bucks. I like that the base was still wood and the top was painted. Yeah, it was, it was lovely. Like, that was an extra effort to get yeah. that done that way. And that's it. So Blue Orange Games, I forget what else they've done recently. That um, it's, I think generally speaking, they have pretty well-produced games, but... Yeah pretty impressed with it and i think even on its own like if you're not buying on sale the price tag isn't bad but it, for i think i would recommend this for someone who with some kids and they want something a little a little bit more yeah. uh, like not, i'm not talking about infants infants will destroy this game they're not gonna have fun with this <laughs> yeah. but maybe younger kids who are just they want a bit more edge yeah. to it we'll say six to twelve six to twelve what is this game i'm trying to say ages eight and up yeah whatever interesting blue lagoon isn't is too new to actually be on his list of games really but if I'm looking at this, I'd probably say his top three, mm -hmm. Tigris and Euphrates, Lost Cities, and The Quest for El Dorado. But then I'm skipping Raw and Samurai yeah. and Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal. Um, Some big ones. Oh, Lord. There was another one I was just forgetting. Uh, Command and Colors Ancient. So that's a GMT game that uh, Kanitsia has made. And that's uh, Battle Line. It's either Battle Line or Command and Colors. 
But either way, he's just like, he's all over the place. The man does so much stuff that... Yep. Uh, prolific. Prolific. That's the only way to describe it. And apparently he's a nice guy too. <laughs> he loves his bow ties. <laughs> all right. So Blue Lagoon, uh, moving on. The third one, keeping with, uh, I guess, following in the, on the heels of Blue Lagoon, we go from above the water to under the sea. Under du, du, the du, sea. Du, du, du. Reef. Reefer. Reefer Madness. It's been, it's been, uh, I mean, we, we taught it on the show last week. Yeah. It was a little confusing, a little, uh, cramped yeah. here in the studio trying to play, a, trying to play a board Hopefully game. Hopefully it sounded okay. But, uh, I think it was fun and I think I introduced the concept at least. And yeah. then we've got to try it a couple more times. Yeah, we now. played it twice yesterday. So, so I'm going to ask you, Joel, how many times you played Reef? Five. How is it? Is it evolving for you, or is it still the same game, but you're getting a better feel for how to play it? I think maybe it's devolving. It's just like uh, I know less about what I want to do each time I play. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying the game is getting. No, worse. I think I'm I know what you're I'm saying. Getting worse. Yeah. And every time I play, I think, man, what was I thinking as I'm looking at these cards? Yeah. But I think uh, there's a couple principles that I've learned that I kind of. You need some principles in a game. Yeah. Uh, as far as strategy goes, in Vidi culture, you know, we developed some standards that just needed to be done. Yeah. Istanbul is kind of the same idea. There are some variances. Yeah. Uh, Scythe is another good example of something where it's like there's the right thing to do, which is you know like produce workers and then a mech. Well, but then... Scythe is I, I would for, don't want to go too far off here, but Scythe at least you have a board that's t- pointing you in a direction too yep. of what is the optimal thing. With the rest of those games is kind of like it's on you. Or although Istanbul, it's kind of like how's the board look? Are there any obvious combinations? And sorry, but anyway, exactly. Yeah. Um, in Reef, uh, you want some you want something to ground you. You know, you you want something to say, okay, well, you've played a lot of games now. Maybe you you know <clears throat> what's what's the right thing to do going in because it is there's just the the options are so staggering that yeah. it's it's really hard to approach. So I would say, here's some principles, and we'll see what you think of them. Okay, one try to sit on four or three cards try to keep as many cards as you can in your hand as possible because that will allow you to have a variance of pieces you can put down and when things come out on that lineup you have more options um and then two i think you need to think early game cards and late game cards and early game cards would be patterns and late game cards would be numbers so don't do anything with numbers at the beginning if you mm-hmm. see something too high three high four high forget about it because you're going to be wasting your potential to spread out and create patterns what do you think of that i agree with it it's i've only played it twice total now and what i walked away with is something similar to that and i think the cards naturally kind of push you toward that but this is where if i was going to have any criticism for reef it's that the randomness of the cards can kind of try to it, it's almost this you want to, like you're saying, you let's say you get a starting hand of like two, like four pluses or something on there. It's like, okay, great. You're looking at the line. You've got stuff to do there. But it, it can be so, the game can be giving you mixed signals in that I want you to, you, you should be aiming for this stuff here because this these are the big points. So get as many fat stacks of these as possible. But at the same time, in order to get those, you want to try to build up stuff. So you want to throw those away, necessarily. You need to get these cards and put the little reef counters down, but you should be scoring while you're putting those reef or little yeah. reef counters down, unless you're just building up for your big drink. Yeah. And then... And that's the other thing. Are you working towards a combo of a single card or yeah. two cards? Because if you're building up for a combo of a single card, you can say, well, each of these cards that I'm using yeah. to get there is a cost exactly and then there's the 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 time cost as well like so while you're doing stuff what's your opponent doing how are they looking at your board too do they see some obvious things maybe you're building up for and even though it's so random that i think it's not as easy as azul to kind of anticipate like okay joel needs a black for this so screw i have you. enough trouble uh, looking at my own board right yeah, exactly. now but maybe in the future i think maybe if you become a reef shark <laughs> you can maybe start to anticipate what people are playing but at this stage after two games i just look at the cards and you're everything you said is 100 percent correct yeah, but it's we're all just, just minnows we're all just minnows right now <laughs> but one day maybe we'll become the sucker fish on the side of a, <laughs> the giant one but it's a 
it's a lovely game. It's absolutely adorable. My dream is to become a, a mega corporation and to sell the reef. Sell the reef? <laughs> <laughs> to a middle-aged white woman in, <laughs> in the suburbs. <laughs> Trying to figure out, like, are you talking about, like, harvesting chunks of it? or yeah, just like coral. Oh, okay. Maybe that, that can be another, like, fantasy flight style <laughs> game or something. Or, actually, that sounds too mean even for them. <laughs> Maybe New Angeles or whatever. But what it, reef... What's your current rating of it, Would you, if you had to put it out there? Oh, it's tough, you know, because it, it's, even though, you know, after five games, you should be able to review a game. It's a yeah. quick game. It's a family abstract, so it's light, but it's got all these layers, like we're saying. I would give it, uh, right now, uh, two green corals and five red corals when I all I needed was one yellow coral. <laughs> Out of how many coral? <laughs> Out of nine. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just gonna go simpler and, and give it a, a a a solid B B plus right now. I'm very happy with this. Oh, game. a letter grade. A letter grade. It's. Nice. I I honestly think that if in we I, I mentioned this to you when we were playing yesterday is that I think that Reef is a game that, um, based on theme alone and how it's designed as far as like its colors and the. The lovely tactile feel of these vaguely cog-like reefs. Yeah. Um, that every every schoolroom, every sort of public space or library or house with kids in it, a copy it of a Reef. Staple. It should be a staple. It should be the ticket to ride of 2018. Uh, you know what? In joke, but it's honestly something that there's enough depth to it. And when you're playing it, and you're you're looking at these cards, and you're trying to visualize what you're doing, and you realize you can stack things on top of each other. And you're building all these complex patterns, but you could yeah. just be building and having a fun time with it. And in your first game, you said your head hurt. I mean, it's yeah. it's like it's a brain exercise that actually really <laughs> stretches yeah. your your brain. It it really does push your spatial it's doing something for you. Abstract sort of yeah, it's it's got to be healthy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you combine it with bourbon. And, <laughs> and again, it's the season to be giving gifts. And this is maybe if Fox in the forest is your gift that you could give to anyone, I would say that this one is just a slightly less accessible version of that where reef, you should be given to your loved one. You should be given to a special somebody. Mm. Uh, I think I got it for like 32, but you're probably looking at about 40 bucks. If you can uh, even get it and worth it. Yeah. Good luck buying it. But <laughs> yeah, so reef retails for, but the MSRP is about 43 bucks Canadian, which is not, uh, folks, when I'm telling you that's not expensive, it's not really bad. not, but especially considering what's in here Tons and the amount of time components. you're going to get it. It's lovely. Very, very lovely. Let's compare that to a game like Splendor, which is 43 bucks, yep. and it's basically a bunch of cards and some now inferior poker chips. So. Yeah, and you were saying last night you hope they don't do the same with Reef. Yeah, because right now the... the well, describe the uh, Reef tokens. Well, the reef tokens uh, are four different colors of coral, each with a unique shape that are stackable. Yeah, they got little that's bases. That's basically the the simplest version, but they are quite nice. They're heavy, they're solid, um, and you know this is next move games who are who have made themselves famous from Azul and the beautiful pieces that came with that. Yeah. So they're just keeping on with quality pieces, I think. Well, they're doing a great job, and it would be sad if they cut back on it because right now they're thick enough that it feels like you're actually stacking something, and they're not. It, it they don't feel hollow or excessively hollow versus yeah. something where it's like, nope, there goes my board because these the cheap plastic. But anyway, that's just a minor sort of a tactile response to yeah. the design of the game. Christmas recommendation, anyway. Easy, yeah. easy Christmas recommendation. Track it down. Music break time. We'll be back. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was, uh, can't even say the name really on the radio, Bloody F by Harglow. Harglow from the album Harglow. Where'd uh, you find this? This uh, came from one of the many random anonymous uh, weirdos on the internet who happened to share my taste in music. So, Well, thanks. Thanks, anonymous random weirdos. Rando. You can check them out on uh, their, their e-label. I don't know if they have it i think you can buy some oh is that based on the uk burning witches records they have a lot of good stuff on there um and uh this is i think i don't know if this is their full first full-length album i think i have them on another uh, various artists compilation but anyway uh bloody f harglow burning witches records we forgot to before we finished our previous chat because we got one distracted more by Reef. game we did play one more game and uh I had tons of fun with this. It washed the taste of the castle out of my mouth. Joel, what did we play? Yeah. So there's some Germans. What are their names? Marcus uh, and Inkus Brandt. The Brandt family yeah. who love uh, tricking us. <laughs> love <laughs> That's puzzles. That's basically what it is, yeah. Uh, they make uh, escape room games. And uh, how would you feel about playing a game, but you only get to play it once? You're going to buy it. Play it, done, throw it out. I like the idea of a game that at least knows that you're only going to play it once. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, all these, <laughs> that's actually pretty good because yeah. how many games have you bought that you've only played once? Yeah, or <laughs> intended for more yeah, plays. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's a novel, it's a novelty idea. <clears throat> um, and it could be just that. It could just be like, hey, guys, we made a game. Uh, Escape rooms are popular, man. Right? Once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Escape rooms are popular. Here's a game you can cut up and destroy, and you'll never you know, get to play it again. Well, cool. Let's check it out. And then it's p- complete garbage. But these guys have really done it well. They've, They've done nailed it, right. it. They've got the formula down. Uh, it's called Exit. The Exit series of games, which are, by the way, if you look at uh, – uh, I think the board game geek stuff, the exit games are very high up there. And I think one of them was in Tom Vassell's top 10 games of all time recently. And they just destroyed Essen and all these other places. Exactly. They were actually uh, game of the year. Game of the Spiel DR, which is incredible. Yeah. One one and done exit yeah. room in a box. Spiel DR and well-deserved. Absolutely. Um, I bought the first one was a Joel cabin. gave us the, the first hit. In uh, Christmas of 2006. 16 or 17 <clears throat> uh and that was enough i bought all of them we there were there were six at the time played all six awesome every single one of them except for maybe one was a little too difficult and some of the clues um like even we had opinions so <laughs> before we go any further the way these games are set up is that it they're all the boxes are all uniform size and they all have a theme around them so like joel's saying like an abandoned cabin or a frozen um research outpost in the arctic or a, a, a lab a castle or a lab or all these other things um and what happens is you open up the box and they basically tell you don't look at anything else in the box until you read the book or the manual things is so sad and then there are a bunch of things in the box that you want to open but you can't do it yet and you basically undo a deck of cards, and every game that they do has this decoder ring style thing where you solve, um, I c- and you could, this could be considered a detriment, but all the puzzles are revolve around get basically getting three numbers out of them, spinning this decoder ring, finding something, and then matching up with a deck of cards, and then matching those car- that clue up with something else. And yeah. if you get it, you flip it over and says, congratulations, player. Uh, open this now yeah. or pull this out of the deck. So it's basically a card-driven <laughs> escape room, which is yeah, kind of Yeah, so the code is the only challenge. Find yeah. the code. It's three-digit code. And it's every easy. clue. Always easy. No. <laughs> Once you get the three-digit number, you try it. Either they insult you. Yeah. <laughs> they right. give you some hope, and then they insult you. Yeah. Or you're correct, and you feel like you're a genius. And if you're having trouble with it, there's a whole deck of uh, clues related to each puzzle. Yeah. And... Uh, it goes through, and it's my favorite type of clue system out there is that you get the first clue is fairly kind of just like pushes you in the right direction. Jigs. Second yep. clue, getting a little more specific. Uh, is there a third clue or is it just a solution? solution? Yeah, and then it goes right to the answer. And the the issue is that without dipping too far away from the one we did right na- uh, last night, which was Dead Man on the Orient Express, which was recreating this murder mystery, just like the famous Agatha Christie uh, novella? Novel? Short story? I don't know. Uh, the one we did before, the abandoned castle, or the haunted castle, or whatever it was, uh, forbidden castle, forbidden castle, forbidden castle. 
that one was so rough with some of the um, puzzles that even when we did the, got the answer, it yeah. made zero sense how they arrived there. So some of the puzzles involved, they're not just logic puzzles. No. They're physical. Uh, you They describe how, you, well, sometimes they don't describe. Sometimes you yeah. need to know or figure out how to move things in a certain way or right. fold things or cut things in a certain way. And if you do it right, you should get three numbers out of it. Yeah. Oftentimes, it's fairly obvious when you've got done it right. Other times, it requires uh, kind of a leap of logic and like, it could be this. It's like, yeah. oh, maybe it wasn't. And then know. you just start trying sets of numbers. Yeah, yeah, and then you fall down this <laughs> hole. And that was, I think, uh, we're not going to do any spoilers on this one. And I want to spend too long, too long talking about it. But I think we could we all walked away from this most recent one. And this is part of the new set of 2018's um, yeah. uh, so exit So they've gone series. from 6 to 10 now. There's four additional... Oh, did, so they added uh, four new ones? Is yeah. it? Okay, so it's. I think it bodes well for this batch of yeah. Exit Games because we all walked away. Every puzzle we couldn't get, we were like, oh, we should have got that. Yeah. And uh, there was no groaners in the sense of, come on, how do yeah. you expect anyone to figure this out? Which in the castle, we were kind of like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's absurd. <laughs> We're obviously smart enough now. Uh, <laughs> I, I was happy that the internet generally agreed with us on the castle. Yeah. I think it's their their lowest rated. Yeah. And uh, generally, most people were complaining that it was too hard and not intuitive enough. Not intuitive. And that's it. And that's like, I think Joel and I have played one or two video games in our life. And <laughs> we're used to puzzles in games. Yeah. And in a video game, when a puzzle is non-intuitive and bad, you feel it. It it hurts. It's yeah. ab- and that's what I was raised on all these bad puzzle games. Or not bad puzzle games, but ba- adventure games with bad puzzles in them that yeah. require absurd leaps in logic. You Sierra need to was place infamous. This item in exactly this spot. Yeah, yeah. Along with these three other items in exactly their spots, but there's nothing anywhere. Nothing in the indicates game that will it. Tell you that that needs to be done. And like and the cynic in me says that like a lot of these games were designed around like calling tip lines, those one nine hundreds to kind of squeeze you for advice. The best of these escape rooms or these exit games rely not not at all on that. There are some weirdities, and that's the thing you got to get your head out of. Is that you're not looking at this from a literal perspective of like, why I, I, why do I need to solve like a code to get into the kitchen based on like the poker game or something yeah. like that? It makes zero sense. But, but it but. comes to comes to us now. We're like, we've played so, like after seven of these, we're looking for it. Yeah, <laughs> you. That's it. Your brain starts to you you anticipate what they're doing, and now we're getting to the point, And this Tearing is no part. Yeah, this is no spoilers here, but. <laughs> We've taken to analyzing the box itself and like pulling out inserts and looking around because it's like you can't trust them. There's something somewhere. We know it. <laughs> and they sort of did it to us this time. Not quite, but... Uh, they got us again. They got us again. Which they, is hilarious. To, like, how do they keep doing it? After seven times, how are they still doing it? How are they still tricking us? It'll the be interesting brats. to see how far they get this series goes because like, yeah. it must be difficult designing after so many times. It's like, we already did this puzzle, right? Yeah, we did. Oh, shoot. Do it again. This one, it'll be a yeah, trick. Cause we, they think they something, on something else. Anyway, so that's, this was Dead Man in the Orient Express. Fantastic. Really outstanding. And again, inexpensive. Do not, yeah. people listen to me. If anyone's listening. <laughs> Don't do it. 20 bucks? No. Do not. This is not meant to hurt someone or insult someone, but $20 is, you'll see this sold for, these games sold for this. That's way above MSRP. You should be paying $12, $13, $14, $15. Dollars. That's around the area that you should be paying yep. for these. Do not. I think it's, 20 it, bucks is too much. It's single use and it's paper and cardboard. It's, it's a $13 game. It's very pretty. A lot of effort's gone into it, but don't let the middleman, <laughs> the, the brands <laughs> are not know. getting paid that money. So don't don't worry about it. Uh, speaking of uh, middlemen causing trouble and resulting in... <laughs> what? Oh, no. That, folks, was the sound of a train crash, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> there was there was some whistling at the beginning, but there's a long pause in between it, so I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to play that the whole time. Oh, before we move on, they also have timers with oh, that's right, the to app to yeah. get in the mood. And yesterday, we listened to a train uh, chugging along with all these special whistles and sounds the whole way that we were solving the puzzle. It was really nice. Uh, but sometimes, trains go off the rails, and I think what you're talking about is the train wreck that, <laughs> that is now 
maybe a two train wreck. Herb and garlic seasoned fries. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it's Fallout 76, folks. Uh, it's like, okay, so you release a product which, as software goes, is a big disappointment. Well, that's too bad, right? It's like, it, it happens. Yeah. yeah. But everybody's got their deluxe edition, you know? Halo's got their one with the Master Commander. Yeah. Master Commander. <laughs> that, I'd play that. <laughs> oh, Master Chief. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't mind sailing uh, a high sea ship with the Master Chief. So if you were if you were a diehard Fallout fan because of all their great titles in the past, uh, and you really wanted to splurge, you could spend two hundred dollars on a beautiful military grade canvas bag to carry a helmet inside. Yeah, your T one T one hundred T one thousand T one twenty. I don't know. But what if what you bought ended up being a ten dollar nylon bag instead of a two hundred dollar <laughs> canvas bag? <laughs> Suckers! <laughs> One born every minute. Well, that's that's your fault for. Um, how, like I, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, Jack. Because can you just imagine if this was like the Gap or like uh, <laughs> Old Navy or an old clothing store or yeah. something, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm gonna buy this nice cotton dress," and then it shows up and it's polyester. And yeah. Well, it's, it, it, but it's it's staggering because Bethesda is ostensibly a giant company that they they have their fingers in many pots and pies. This shouldn't be difficult to make like, a bank off of Skyrim. They said they couldn't afford. Canvas, I, which to me sounds more do you know like something about canvas right now. I do know that apparently I can go on to like military surplus websites and buy like giant actual military bags for under two hundred dollars quite easily. And so. how much do you think it would cost you to to put a stamp on it that said Fallout seventy six? I think I think I could have done it on the cheap. <laughs> so to me, it sounds more like whoever was responsible for this entire train wreck because like Joel was saying this this game has been a disaster from day one from beta yep. uh, and it just continues to underperform and it's disastrous and buggy the, the fact that they couldn't even sell their dumb overpriced collector's edition as it's stated like they got the case wrong yeah it's something's wrong here something's and, going and on and it's the it's uh it's the response that's that's off so they they offered to give you your money back right <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and that's the saddest thing is that like the exact sentence that they chose as a public release to the people was we don't plan to do anything about this. Well, why would they, Joel? It's like I have your money, <laughs> dummy. <laughs> what are you, you going to do about it? Sue me? All right, don't sue me. <laughs> yeah. So that's apparently the thing is, is if you accept this five hundred atoms in in-game currency, which is a little under five bucks. Yeah. Uh, that's you being like, compensated, yeah, and yeah. that's can't sue us. Can't they're sue no us. longer liable. So it's it's mondo greasy, and if you if you go through the and it, unfortunately you get what when you play with fire, you get burned. Yep. These collector's editions are infamous for being. Um, I'd say nine out of ten of them are garbage when they promise something. There there's some hilarious ones. I think with uh, <laughs> there was something to do with um, I think it was Avengers. Uh, Infinity War or something. There was some limited edition um, Blu-ray of it or something that came out. Or you could buy a special edition of it. And the pictures of it had all the, the, the gems of them. They looked super Ooh, cool and awesome and glowing. Stones. Infinity Stones. And then people were posting pictures of what it looked like when it showed up. And it was just like <laughs> like, like a plastic Kinder Surprise egg. <laughs> just like <laughs> terrible. And you think like, how, why? A, who's buying this? And B, how is this well, so the thing. possible? It's, like, it's a tax on fools or people think oh, this will be worth a lot one day. I think the only collector stuff that possibly entice me are the ones that are like, let's say, uh, and pre-ordering is cancer, don't do it, but are the ones that um, give you like the art books and something like Dark oh, Souls, for yeah. example. Original I think sketches. Original sketches, the art books, um, <laughs> maybe gorgeous like maps or something, and maybe like uh, I think Fallout uh, 4 or 3 or one of those came out and you could buy it. Like, when you bought the collector's edition, it came with like the vinyl edition of the their yeah. music in it too. And like that's cool. That's collector stuff. Yeah. I was looking at the Warcraft 3. Uh, Warcraft 3 remaster is coming out, right, where they're making basically the same game but better yeah, just, and they went back to the original sketches on it, and so you you can go flip through this book of ideas. Well, what if we made an orc that uh, 
you know, like an ogre that had two heads and yeah. uh, they argue with each other. And yeah. stuff. It's classic. It's good stuff. And you know what? If there's nothing wrong with putting it out there and if you are, and this is what I think everyone can agree on is that there's one, there's nothing wrong with selling something if someone wants to buy it. But if you are selling something and what I'm buying is totally different than what you've sold me, you've deceived me, sir. I, I demand my money back. Bamboozled. I've, you've bamboozled me, and I've done nothing more than patronize <laughs> your store, your fine gaming establishment. Well, uh, <coughs> gaming establishment. But anyway, so Fallout 76 continues to be embarrassment and punishes anyone who even tried to <laughs> like, support them. Moving on from punishing customers to punishing people you play with. If anyone has spent some time on Board Game Geek beyond just looking up the hotness and seeing what games are trending, which I guess is redundant because that's what the hotness is, you may have come across a semi-legendary personality on the forums that goes by the alias Clear Claw. Clear Claw. The Claw of Clear. Geek of the Week. Translu- Geek of the Week? 130... 130- they had a Geek of the Week series, and oh, the 131st Geek of the Week was Clear Claw, and he was the award winner for Fun Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> you never guess why. <laughs> that You don't need to say anything else. Fun Murderer sums him up right there. And yeah. I've never met the man. I think he lives in California. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong. He's part of uh, Los Altos Game Day and Endgame Oakland. Yeah, so. okay. So he's actually... Like, Joel, when I was in California, I think it's possible I may have been near Clearclaw. I was in Oakland briefly. You feel his presence? I felt I felt the fun being murdered. <laughs> There's a crime. Anyway, Clearclaw. Joel, hit us with what makes Clearclaw. Well, I think you kind of summed it up in your first uh, comment, which sent to me, which is basically him describing looking at somebody and he's playing an ATNX game. A- 18xx game first of all super anal heavy strict heavy dry train management game you're not teaching this to your grandma no although maybe it would help grandma (laughs) take her back um (laughs) to her train baron days (laughs) yeah um yeah it's basically like train economies building stock uh, markets yeah stocks and etc um anyway there's a lot about optimization in these games and clear claws all about it. And so basically the, the, the comment was something like um, somebody who had played a game with clear claw and had made a move in an 18 XX game and clear claw, just looking at him with this kind of <laughs> p- pity. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was a mix between disappointment disgust? and disgust. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of shaking his head a little bit. And then, you know, Calmly and patiently <laughs> telling him everything about <laughs> how he was ruining the game and how he was doing it all wrong. You did it completely wrong. You've screwed up. It, the man is legendary because if you go th- check out, um, go to Board Game Geek, and it's a little cumbersome because the website sucks, but you can search by uh, users and you search Clearclaw. Yeah, you can just go to slash user slash Clearclaw. Yeah, but if, yeah, okay, you can go to the, uh, type it in manually. And when you. <laughs> when you go in there and you look at his stuff, the man has, he goes through and he ranks games. And we talked about 18xx's, and those are his absolute favorite games, which sums up a, it kind of says a lot about a person because these are very dry, very fragile, very uh, methodical, mathy type experiences. And they're long too. It's n- They're not si- mega civ long, but they're long. Um, his whole thing is he, uh, is that based on my understanding is that he loves these games and he wants everyone to do the best, but he's going to play this game and he's going to treat you like, uh, you are just a, uh, a robot moving things on the board and he's going to try to crush you. Yeah. Uh, like anything else. There's no friends at the table. There's no friends. Inf- I like that. He's got here. Simply my favorite game seems to specialize in making their players games lives difficult. Yeah. And that's that's it right there. And I think one of the most famous things he said was that uh, I think I'm not sure if this was his or I'm mes- mixing it up, but friendships is, are made of gaming. It's yep. you can't be doing this. You can't play a game if somebody's going to be there with their wife or husband. You can't have them treating that person differently because that's that's destroying the game. You have to yeah. play it completely as if they're they're nothing. And he he becomes one of these guys where you're kind of you're half rid- ridiculing him for yeah. being so over the top, know, crude yeah. and antisocial. Yeah. And then you're kind of half admiring him. You're looking at him like, 
man, I wish we could all play games where we didn't take it personally <clears throat> yeah. that we got invaded. Yeah, yeah. Or we didn't take it personally. Or, or just an example, we're starting a new diplomacy this week. Right. And one of the players, his goal is uh, openly stated to destroy another player because in a previous game that player had yeah. uh, betrayed him. Well, that's just not the way you should play any game and that's basically clear claws um, exactly festo you, you walk in with zero prejudice it, like yep. it, the exact opposite of apocalypse now like uh terminate with extreme prejudice there's <laughs> no this is just sheer uh kill them all like god sort them out type behavior and it, it's interesting because on one side if that's what you're looking to get out of your games good for you and the man clearly knows how to articulate what he's looking for in these games but Someone else pointed out in response, because Clear Class showed up and everyone was on a discussion about him, was that the reason a lot of us are playing board games is because we want the social aspect. We want to be able to interact with people. So is it impossible to uh, divorce the two, being in a social environment with other people uh, and still keeping this objective game? I don't think so. I think it's very easy to do and keep both, but it's impossible to play a game with another human being without some sort of prejudice leaking yeah. through subtly. I think his dream is a game it's is playing a world against where bots play against bots. It's yeah. basically like strip yourself of your humanity and make the optimal decision yeah. and don't think about any previous games. Don't think <clears> about <throat> the person you're playing with. It's not a person. Yeah. It's just a function on a board, which obviously takes a ton of the fun yeah. out of games. But on the other hand, it can be very frustrating to play with somebody that uh, goes on tilt. Yeah, going on <laughs> tilt is, we've talked about this before. We've also talked about when Joel played TI4 against with the, the couple and they, they weren't <sighs> and attacking attack each other. Girlfriend. Wouldn't attack his girlfriend. attack his girlfriend. But it's almost like, then you're, no one's going to dispute that it's made a gaming, but it's almost like you have to go into these games anticipating these pre-existing, let's call them pre-existing conditions and, and revol like base your actions or activity around them. I think, only, and it works as long as they don't destroy the game from the get-go. But it's almost like it, it's a, considered an encouragement to, if you know, so if I'm going to go into a game and I see Joel and I know Joel hates Stefan and he's always going to ally with uh, Mark because those guys they're are best, they're best friends. And I know Stefan takes things personally if somebody decides to uh, invade him on turn two. And I see that uh, Curtis has invaded him on turn two. It's like you're, you're, you're mathing out all these possibilities going on here. And everyone else looking at Jack, he's like, oh, Jack takes forever to take his turn. I'm going to kick him out of the game. because he's <laughs> It's even more variable <laughs> than more before. Variable. But it's, I think it's all about knowing how people play. There's just like... So if you know someone's going to be super aggressive or is an aggressive player, it's like playing chess with somebody that they look at these moves they're doing. They're super like watching. I don't know. I'm just pulling something out here, but Boris Spatsky, famous for being super aggressive and playing chess. Don't know if yeah. this is true, but you know how to respond accordingly. And if Spatsky thinks you think that he's going to be aggressive and tricks you and does all the old bamboo, plays a super defensive play, plays defensively. So, yeah. but it's all about the types of games too. So with 18xx's, maybe it doesn't work. And if you go with these prejudices or you're not good at the game. It does wreck the game, but with, let's say something like Mega Civ. If yeah, if you go hard against someone, you're bringing yourself and them down. Yeah, and maybe other people recognize the weakness too, or they see that you're picking on them, and now you're going to get attacked more because it's obvious that I can't let Joel go after. Um, I don't know. I'll say Stefan again because he's newer to the game, doesn't know what he's doing. So now I have to go hit up his flank so he doesn't consolidate too much power. It's just. It gets into the the meta game is fascinating, and I need to read more about it. I think it's yeah. brilliant. Well, we've got um, this is interesting. We've got a conversation with J C Lawrence. Okay, yeah. Clear Claw is his name is J C Lawrence, um, and I guess there was a, a, a quasi documentary on him, which led to <laughs> uh, some follow up questions. These are the follow up questions after this the is on board game documentary. Yeah. yeah. So question number one. What proportion of your gaming time is spent on 18xx versus non-18xx? And he says, for non-18xx, it's a very small fraction. Currently, he's playing Hive, which is interesting. Um, and previously, uh, Stlitchin and Ricochet Robots. Have you heard of Ricochet Robots? It does not seem I, like I think it's a, a dexterity game, game, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. He, he sometimes plays. But he says, I almost entirely ignore non-18xx games. <laughs> which the, that's... You know what? Say no more. Yeah. How this is the good one? How much time do you spend on the board game hobby in a month? A little over a hundred hours per month seems about right. I'm pretty sure it is an over two hundred hours a month. I might be wrong. Which you're saying is second job territory. Yeah. So 
So if you're doing 100 hours, that's 25 hours a week. Yeah. If you're doing 200 hours, that's 50 hours a week. That's more than a full-time job. Yeah. Playing 18xx games. I don't know if he... Um, I know he has weekly groups because one guy was posting, the person we talked about, the... Um, excuse me. The uh, fellow who said he looked him with disappointment. Like that was the weekly... He learned uh, 18xx with him over three months playing a weekly game. Yeah, and he doesn't have his job on here, but it, there's a bit of a hint in the last question. They say, if I remember correctly, you mentioned somewhere you worked with structure-based drug design or something related. <laughs> and he said, I spent a few years working with a computational statistics group at a pharma R&D arm. I mostly worked with various large omics data sets, but I barely at all got involved in their analytic processes of the deeper subject matter, <laughs> just the provisioning of compute to their questions. <laughs> Sorry, I droned off when you answered. So there's a, like a little hint as to who who is J.C. Lawrence. He sounds like an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he sounds like, which is uh, not meant to insult all our lovely engineers around here, but uh, you guys have personalities sometimes. But maybe he's a train engineer. You see, that's what I was hoping. Like, <laughs> but we all know real train engineers are too busy on an actual train to play train games. <laughs> but who knows? Yeah, here's here's a here's another couple that that might kind of give you an idea of uh, who this guy is. Yeah. Um, sorry, one second. Um, do any other types of board games provide any interest, or are you a dedicated? economic primarily shared incentive gamer he says yes no when when i bother i mostly define the games i'm interested in as high information highly computable multiplayer incentive management iterated negotiation systems do we have an acronym for that or? <laughs> yeah the h h c m i m i n s <laughs> such players Hickmas. Hickmas. <laughs> Such games tend to be called economic, but that's an incidental. I have a minor appreciation for historical reverence, not slavish recreation, yeah. but recreation of context in an attempt to explore what-ifs rather than recreations. Yeah. And funny he mentions that because that's one of the... We were talking about Here I Stand and how it's a recreation, yep. but there's a lot of what-ifs, like th someone may never be born or this battle may have been lost that should, yep. that was historically won. And that's one of the, the closest criticisms of Here I Stand, aside from maybe some other stuff related to the gameplay, is that inevitably things follow history a little too closely. When, yeah. But what else do you expect? Like, you're not... This is an alternative history here. where It's a simulation yeah. in the, the world here. What do you think Scythe is... What if... I, yeah, maybe. Europe was <laughs> mechanized really early. Uh, Fallout is famous for what if microcomputing never happened. Micro, what just went to quantum computing or no? It was just kind of everything is still big. Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. and also if like war didn't start till the or nuclear war didn't happen till the 60s or the yeah. 50s or something, it's a, the fallout lore. I'm a little weak on to be honest, but but yeah, it's the greatest worlds are kind of taken from like nothing dramatic necessarily, but all, all good fantasy is just what if and moving on from there. Yep, but regardless, clear claw. He's a legend. Look him up, folks. He's you, not for everyone. I would love to see what he's actually like in person. Love to get him on the show. Yeah, maybe we can shoot him a message and uh, do a, a phone interview and so that we're not misre misrepresenting him. Nothing on purpose, at least. Yeah. yeah. But he could end up becoming sort of an <clears throat> ism of gaming, I think, in that uh, somebody is getting really analytical or maybe even somebody is looking at you and telling you something you did wrong. Yeah. You could have done that. And then you could say, oh, you're clear clawing me. Yeah, quit clear clawing me. <laughs> I mean, no, it's like, I have nothing against somebody. Maybe not as soon as I do it, give, admonishing yeah. me for a move, but maybe afterward, like, saying, so there was one moment here when yeah, this happened. Yeah, you bring it up. <laughs> but it's all about how it's delivered, too. It's like, if, if, but who knows, maybe some people like the stern father figure. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> you're not playing optimally. Which is, again, what are you looking to get out of your games? Yeah. Anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening.